Paul talks in Colossians about being devoted to prayer. He says, with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. And the, the part I thought about, I guess, over the last week and a half was the last part of that. Uh, the thankful heart part. That is not always easy. Um, not always easy in the circumstances that God places in front of you, but I do not believe, as I think about Colossians and about other places where we are called to be thankful always, uh, that there is an aspect of why we are to be thankful that is not about our circumstances. That even in the song we just sang, Jesus, I am resting in the joy of who you are. So I want to read those verses in Colossians 4. It's uh, kind of going to wrap up Colossians this morning. Uh, It's... uh, Paul mentions a fair number of people at the end of this letter, uh, people who are fellow workers with him in the church, uh, people that he knows well, uh, people that he may uh, occasionally send out as kind of messengers carrying information that Paul has written and carrying it to churches and sharing it with them. So um, a lot of it is uh, identifying some of those people uh, it's interesting, and if we look at uh, so much of Paul's life, uh, his circumstances were not in any way, shape, or form ideal. And I think he wraps up Colossians 4 by saying, remember my imprisonment. And I, I'm sure that when he says, remember my imprisonment, that he is saying, pray for me. And probably even pray that in some way God would see to it that I would be released from prison. We know if we look at Paul's life, there were times in Acts where Paul was imprisoned and he was miraculously freed. So Paul would have experienced those times in his life where God would have released him from difficult circumstances, but here in Colossians at the end, he says to the church in Colossians, remember that I'm, I'm in prison. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And he says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. I think that's a very interesting statement. That Paul believes that he's actually in chains for the sake of Christ. Not necessarily because he's a follower of Christ, although that may be part of it. He sees this as for the sake of sharing the gospel. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he says to the Colossian church, 
live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Some translations say, let your conversation be gracious and attractive, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As I look at these few verses, it's really, I think, verses 2 to 6, In a way, they almost seem to be a collection of thoughts that comes to Paul's mind as he wraps up this letter to the Colossian church. What is a reminder that we are to be people of prayer? One is Paul's personal request for prayer, saying to the Colossian church, pray for me. Even though I'm here in prison, I'm here actually for the sake of the gospel. Pray for me. And one is a challenge for us as children of God that our lives, how we live out our faith, and that every conversation we may have, we may also see as opportunities to proclaim the goodness of God. Kind of a challenge for us. And I always think it's interesting. I thought about that again in the last few days. That Paul would have written this letter thinking, okay, I'm writing this letter for the church at Colossae. And little does he know probably at that time, he's actually writing that letter for the church at Creekside. And for every other church that gathers as children of God and followers of Jesus Christ. And so I always think we have to understand when we read this letter that it is a letter, yes, specifically to the Colossian church, but it is also a letter to the church that exists today. And I think Paul would be astounded at how these letters that he wrote, inspired by the living God, have become what we now call the Word of God. When Paul says to be devoted to prayer, he is speaking about something that I think truly makes us unique as children of God. That prayer is an expression of our faith. It reminds us every time we pray of who we are. And it reminds me that God is my Father. And so Paul says our lives need to be characterized by being people that pray. It is interesting. Um, I had two conversations yesterday uh, out, one in Superstore and one in Safeway, that ended up kind of being conversations about God. And they just were a bit out of the blue, which I kind of like. I met a young man that I I know uh, who a, a number of years ago had sort of stepped out on his own. He's a carpenter. Um... That's his trade. 
and had for many years, I think, just sort of looked for random jobs and at one point had said, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own. And so I asked him, I, I said, you know, how are things going? I said, are you busy? And he said to me, I have all the work that I need. And he said, the work I do has variety to it. I'm not doing the same thing every day. And then he paused and he said, I need to thank God for that. And it sort of was like out of the blue in this conversation. He went on to say, I don't thank God enough for anything and for everything. And to me, I think he probably, we would say many times, we can identify with that. He's a man of God. He loves God. But he, it was like his conversation there was to him a reminder, I need to be giving thanks to God at all times. That prayer is not reserved for special events or dire circumstances. It is to be what we do in all things and at all times that we pray. In times of great joy, we pray and we give thanks. In times of great sorrow, we pray and we give thanks. In the ordinary of life, we are called to pray and we're called to give thanks. I think Paul would be quick to remind us that prayer is far more than just simply making our requests before God our Father. Although we are called to do that. And there would have been hundreds of requests made before the Father on behalf of Aspen over the last week and a half. And there continue to be those requests. That prayer also is an expression of thanks to God for who he is. That God is my heavenly father. It is giving thanks that Jesus is who he is. That he gave himself for us. It is giving thanks for those things that will always rise above and exist within the circumstances of life. It's giving thanks to God for things that are eternal. And I think Paul acknowledges that we can grow weary in prayer. I think every one of us would say, yeah, we, we do. You know, we can even recall the disciples where Jesus asked them to stay and pray who fell asleep. So it's an encouragement, I think, from Paul to the Colossian church that we all need to hear, saying, Doug, you need to devote yourself to prayer. Have a thankful heart. And have a mind that's tuned in, I'm going to say simply tuned into the reality of God in all things and at all times. I like it that Paul encourages us to have our minds engaged when we pray. That prayer is not some strange 
uh, mystical experience in which we somehow turn off our minds and something else happens. It's a time where Paul says, when we pray, we should have an alert mind. It's not about rattling off spiritual sounding phrases. It's not about a public performance about how well he or she can pray. The religious leaders that we read about in the Gospels, in a sense, love to demonstrate how well they prayed. I don't think Paul is talking about that at all. It is having our minds tuned to God. It's being alert to what he is saying to us what he's asking us to do. And I believe there are times in every day that God will bring situations, God will bring people into our minds. And that when God does that, it is a request, it's a reminder, it's an encouragement. Doug, you need to pray for that. So as children of God, as we walk through the day, whatever the day brings, and thoughts come into our mind that we know our thoughts from the Heavenly Father, they are a call for us to pray. So let your minds be alert at all times. Paul also encourages us to come before God with a thankful heart. And I'll admit that our understanding and sometimes my own understanding of thankfulness is very often shaped by how things are going at the time. Or whether my specific requests have been answered as I would have liked. But I think Paul's perspective on thankfulness is not in any way about his circumstances. In fact, his prayers often are not about himself. It's about the goodness of God. It's about the truth of the cross and the resurrection and the hope that lies ahead. In all of the circumstances that Paul would have faced, He is thankful in all of them for the reality of God, the grace of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, and what lies ahead for those of us who are children of God. Which is why I believe Paul believes that we can be thankful in everything. He says in this verse that he is in chains for the sake of the gospel. And I thought, well, couldn't God have accomplished so much more if Paul had been free? In Acts, we read about Paul's many missionary journeys to so many different places where he proclaimed the good news. But I think when we look back at Everything that God accomplished through Paul in prison. The reality is that God accomplished more through Paul in his trials 
than he would have if Paul perhaps had been allowed to roam free. That the book that we hold on to when we read as the word of God is filled with letters. Inspired by God and given to Paul for the church. So thankfulness for Paul is about who he is as a child of God. And it's that aspect of what we believe that allows us to, I'm going to say somehow, to be able to give thanks in all things at all times. In these verses, Paul does request personal prayer. He asks the church in Colossians, remember me, pray for me. But it's interesting that unlike many of my own prayers, which may tend to focus on things going better for me or for people I love, Paul's prayers, um, here at least, he doesn't even say, you know, pray that I may get out of jail. Although I believe he thinks the church is actually praying that prayer on his behalf. His prayer is that even in his chains, that he would find the right words to clearly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Help me proclaim this mystery, he says, clearly. And I thought, you know, that's an amazing prayer from a man of God. That you might think that the right words would simply flow from Paul's lips. That he wouldn't have to think about what to say or how to say it. But this verse indicates that Paul, in the mission that God has given him to share the gospel, thinks carefully about how he proclaims that. He says, help me to do it clearly. Paul's message was always the same. It was about the cross and about the resurrection. But it was clear that when Paul shared that with people he met, he did so with a thoughtful mind about how do I best share this message with these people. Probably one of the best examples of that is uh, in Ephesus. And I hope I have that right. Where he travels through the city and he sees all these statues, images of various gods. And as he's walking through that great city, he notices that there's a statue to the unknown God. And as if like Paul's mind grabs that and he says, I can use that to help clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think sometimes um, many of Paul's sermons were actually not directed to the church. Most of ours are. Paul's very often were directed to, especially at Acts, as he's traveling, they're, they're, they're messages to people people outside of the Jewish tradition who maybe would have understood some of the scriptures, but many of his, in his audience, this would have been brand new. And so Paul thinks carefully about how he shares the gospel. 
And so I thought about, well, how do I speak the truth of the gospel in a way that causes those who don't know the message, who don't have the tradition, who don't have the church language, how do I share that message in a way to cause them to consider what Paul calls the mystery of the gospel? And I like that. I I think it encourages us to think about what we believe and how we share it. In the church, um, to I think a very large extent, we have kind of created our own language. It's language that most of us in the church, especially those who have grown up in the church, we kind of know and understand. At times we use words and phrases that we think everyone understands, when I think actually in reality very often their meaning is anything but clear, even to those within the church. But they sometimes roll off our tongue without thinking, and we don't ask the question, okay, when you say that, what do you mean? When you use that phrase, what, do you, what does that mean to you? I have found myself in the last year asking that question uh, more often than I ever have in my life. Asking that question to people within the church who use certain phrases that I'll say, okay, when you say that, what do you mean? And to me, it's interesting how that question becomes the beginning of a worthwhile conversation about, oh, okay, that's what you mean. I think if the spiritual language we use is often not clear to those within the church, I can guarantee you it is meaningless to those outside the church. That some of that language which we throw around is a barrier, not a bridge. So I was thinking about this, about this week about how do I share? How do I talk about what it means to be a child of God? And Paul requests that he might find the right words to do that, that he would do it clearly. We do tend to revert to words that we are familiar with or words that we grew up with. I think sometimes those might be the very words we need to avoid when we're talking to people outside of faith. And there's, I think, a little slide, um, Carlene. Words like conversion, words like gospel, like sin, words like grace, Faith, born again, disciple, 
even in church worship, what does that mean? I think it's good for us at time to look at those words and think about what do those mean? Or how would I convey those things in a way that somebody outside of faith might say, oh, that's what you're talking about. I didn't create all of that list that you see up there. And you could probably create your own list, but I think it's a worthwhile activity for us to think about how we talk about the goodness of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul knows full well that the message he is seeking to share is literally a mystery. And I think that's what makes it tough. That we are trying the best we can at times to share something that is at a very foundational level. There's so much about it that's a mystery we don't understand. I thought about that a little bit when I looked at all the medical machines and all the monitors that were attached to little Aspen, to her brain, to her little feet, to her hands, in through her nose, in through her mouth, in her belly. Sensors on her head and sensors on her. And I thought, this is a mystery to me. How does that stuff work? And all the monitors are blinking and beeping and flashing numbers. But the reality is there is no mystery to that. That if I was to talk to a biomedical engineer... If I was to talk to a mechanical engineer or an electrical engineer, they could explain exactly how those machines work. The nurses and doctors who often came and looked at those machines knew exactly what everything on those machines meant. It was a mystery to me, but it really wasn't a mystery to many others. But there's a reality about the gospel that we are called to share that is literally a mystery. And it's a challenge for us, the children of God, to share that mystery well. And I think Paul here is encouraging us. It's not a simple task. I want you to pray that I would do it clearly, Paul says. But I think it's also an encouragement to us to think about how we talk about God. Lastly, Paul talks about two things that I think are direct um, encouragement to us. They're very practical. They are about our lives, the life we live, and about our speech conversations we have. That our walk, how we live it out, what we believe, needs to give credibility to who we are. That we need to live it out well because I think Paul is telling us 
there will be opportunities that God gives you to speak it out. And I think if we live it out well, people will listen when we even maybe awkwardly try to speak it out well, this mystery of God's love for the world he created through Jesus. Paul says we need to live wisely because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That we will be called upon to speak on his behalf to this world. It's really kind of what an ambassador does. It represents something else or someone else to a foreign, in terms of government, often a foreign country. We are ambassadors to those around us who live apart from faith. And so when we are told to call to walk wisely, to me it's a statement about ethics and morality. It's a statement about living generous and compassionate lives. It's a statement about our character as who we are as children of God. In Philippians, Paul encourages the church to live what he calls blameless, innocent lives in order that we might shine like bright lights in a crooked and twisted generation. He's talking to a generation in, what, 60 or 70 A.D., I think we might many times choose that same descriptor to describe the generation in which we live. And Paul says we are to shine like bright lights. Paul also assumes that we will have opportunities to speak. And I think there are many times where I don't necessarily approach every day with the fact that God may give me an opportunity to speak on his behalf of who he is. That to some degree we all share in Paul's mission to proclaim the gospel, to talk about Jesus, to talk about God, to talk to people about putting their trust in something greater than what they see, to invite people to at least Consider an amazing mystery. So he says, live wisely around those who do not believe. Assume that opportunities to speak will arise. And seek to answer their questions. And I would say that we need to know that in those conversations, the Spirit of God is active. That mystery, I don't think, passes from me to another person without the Spirit of God being present. So I just want to end by reading those verses again, and I just encourage you to think about them. Think about them this week. Think about them as you live out uh, whatever God uh, lays before you this week, wherever you are. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 
Pray for us too, Paul says, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I, Paul, will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And for us, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for this encouragement written by Paul while he was in prison. You might say, Paul would seem to have every reason to question or to doubt you. And yet he sees his change, his trials, his struggles as part of what you have asked of him in order that God may be honored and glorified. And Father, even now I'm reminded of stories and I'm thinking of Martin Traz who continues to battle and fight cancer who sees his struggle, literally, God, as an opportunity to give you honor and glory. I pray, God, that we would have that willingness as your children. That in all things, we would be able to give you thanks. Help us this week, I pray, by the Spirit of God, to live within us in a way that allows us to speak. And share this mystery of Jesus with other people. And for that, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.